from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on all the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's a pleasure to be with you guys tonight. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ if you want to chime in on the national conversation here. And today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. And, uh, you know, we should never, ever, ever forget, right? And that is the uh, the saying, never forget. This is one of those things where, you know, it always shocks me when we hear that, People deny the Holocaust. Uh, even, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Kanye West, but when he says things like that, it makes me think, man, you're, we really need to have a conversation and uh, kind of uh, bring him up to speed on what's going on because it's it was horrific. It was horrific to see how the Holocaust uh, came, you know, came about, everything that was a result of it. And, you know, if you've never had a chance to to read the uh, Anne Frank diary or, or anything really that has an intimate description or spoken with a Holocaust survivor and have had them describe it to you, you should because it's so eye opening and, and it's it's heartbreaking and heart wrenching to say the least. Something else that I feel is uh, heartbreaking and heart wrenching is um, the death of um, Tyree Nichols, a uh, young man that was in police custody and was resisting and got into this thing and five cops get involved and now he's dead. And these things are never, are never ever as cut and dry as they seem to be. But the one thing that remains is this family's without a son. And, you know, whether it's a traffic stop, I I can't help but put myself in that position. And I know for some people, it's conventional wisdom to say, well, you know, if he would have just listened to them, uh, you you know, I'm I, me, Rich Valdez, I'm not in the business of laying down, rolling over and playing dead at the whim of the government, whether it's the government with a gun on their hip, the government that collects my taxes, any government, just putting that out there. It's not something that I I typically want to do. Now, I've never been in a situation like that, uh, thank God. Uh, But if somebody's trying to throw me on the ground and and I feel like it's, uh, who knows, you know, fight or flight kicks in. We're human beings. And uh, I'm not condoning resisting arrest in any way. Uh, But uh, I am condoning people dying when they don't have to. Uh, I'm condemning, I should say, condemning people dying when they don't have to. That's something where I, I don't think that should be the outcome. And again, we went through this uh, on other occasions that there's some people that are hardliners on this and, you know, hey, hey, you know, uh, you F around, you're going to find out. Listen. All right. Hey, God love you. But uh, I just don't think that I don't care if it's an expired license plate, this, that, whatever it is, whatever it is. Honestly, um, everybody has a job to do and every everybody should go home alive unless, you know, they're pulling out a gun and that's a different story. They're, you know, going for a knife. That's a different story. And, and there's there's a lot more to every story, granted. But President Joe Biden's calling for peaceful protests following the murder charges that were filed against the police officers um, involved in the death of Tyree Nichols. And there's uh, expectations that tonight there's going to be a bunch of of uh, riots. There's a lot of uh, different expectations. I don't know what's going to happen. 
I do know that uh, Don Lemon, or as I like to call him, Don Limon from CNN, he's on the morning show now, and he spoke with the police chief earlier today about this incident and her thoughts on whether this was race-related. And I'll preface all of this by saying Tyree Nichols is a black American. The police chief is a black American. Don Lemon is a black American. Everybody in this immediate uh, audio you're hearing uh, are, are black Americans. And it's and I'm only pointing that out, A, because we're on radio, and B, because the question's about race. Go right ahead. What do you make of the race of the officers and what that says to the community and to the country about the policing, the care? Well, I think it does, it takes off the table that issues and problems in law enforcement is about race, and it is not. It's about human dignity, integrity, accountability, and the duty to protect our community. And as, as this video will show you, it doesn't matter who's wearing the uniform, that we all have that same responsibility. So it takes race off the table, but it does indicate to me that bias might be a factor also in, you know, in the manner in which we, we engage the community. I have to uh, commend the chief on, on her candor because I, I think that this had nothing to do with race. And I think that there are people I, I call race hustlers, Al Sharpton and others that are out there that would say that this is about, you know, going after people of color. Clearly, everybody involved here is a person of color and not trying to politicize anybody's misfortune. So don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm trying to give some commentary on the news of the day on something that's very um, unfortunate. We have another clip from Chief Sarahlyn Davis. She goes by C.J. Davis uh, from the Memphis Police Department uh, commenting on the video of these officers and the um, interaction with these officers that led uh, to this gentleman's death uh, eventually. Listen to this. Let's talk about the video. Yes. Um, it has been said that it is reminiscent perhaps worse than the Rodney King video. Is that your assessment? That's my assessment. Really? I, was, I was in law enforcement during the Rodney King um, uh, incident, and it's, it's, you know, very much aligned with that same type of behavior. That it's worse? Sort of groupthink. Um, I, would, I would say it's about the same, if not worse. If not worse. If not worse. Now, the Rodney King video, I think so many of us remember that. It was horrific. It was terrible to see this guy, Reginald Denny, get ripped out of the, his truck and whatever and, and, you know, meet his maker right there on the street. It was horrible. It was wrong. And and it sparked outrage that I think was was appropriate. People are going to be outraged when you do things like this. That seems to be like a natural human response. Although some of it got out of hand. I remember, you know, when, when some of the... Uh, property damage and destruction, that type of thing. But, you know, there's one thing to do, peaceful protests, and then there's fiery but peaceful, right, where, where they kind of get carried away, and uh, I never support that. But people deserve to to protect their right to, to speak out, and they should speak out, especially in a situation like this. So a uh, huge supporter of law enforcement. My family's in law enforcement, but a situation like this shouldn't happen. Uh, I, I don't think it should happen. And uh, we're, we're going to continue to bob and weave into this conversation and others as we go through the program tonight. We're also going to talk about what's going on at the border. We're going to talk about what's going on with Hunter Biden. We're going to talk about the censorship on conservative media. And we're also going to talk about 
what happens when we put this hyper focus on race like so many have done so often over the last few years? Does it help anybody? Is it helping kids to learn better? Is it helping school curriculums to produce students that achieve better or superior results? I don't think so, but we're going to get into all of that and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about something that I think is very important to everybody, which is the censorship of conservative voices. Now, listen, I might be on the radio here with you guys and, you know, a little conservative talk, a dash of sofrito, uh, but there's others out there, voices that are out there fighting for conservative uh, viewpoints that are on television and radio. And uh, the liberty-loving Latino, Chris Salcedo from Newsmax TV, he's out there beating the drum for liberty every single day, and he's with us right now. Chris Salcedo, welcome, sir. Richie, my man, how are you, buddy? I am doing fantastic, brother. It's Friday. We're live, and uh, I en- I enjoy it. I love this stuff. I'm, I love my friends. I'm glad you're here with me, and uh, I love to have these conversations where we bring you know as many Americans that are listening right now into what's going on, and you know I think this is a very big deal. We we saw the systematic uh, collapse of of social media platforms like Parler. Um, and and the birth of others like Getter and and Truth, uh, when President Trump's voice was censored off of Twitter and then off of Facebook, and uh, they they created alternative platforms in a real free market American dream kind of way, and now here we are with Newsmax that's been around for as long as as you know as I can remember, uh, as a tremendous blog site and then as a TV channel. And and now all of a sudden, DirecTV is saying uh, we're not willing to pay you guys the cable fee that we pay all the other um, left leaning commentary and news channels. And you guys are out. And now they did this already to one American news. So it seems to me there's a pattern where they're saying, look, if we don't like your politics, you're out. What say you? Rich, I'm so glad you brought up Parler first, because Parler was the first shot, wasn't it? Uh, that this, this was the first sign that the left no longer wanted to engage in debate. So they took a multi-million dollar company and because they controlled the infrastructure, they shut it down. They simply just shut it down. Why? Because they couldn't tolerate, they can't argue anymore. The left wing has no good ideas. So they're in typical totalitarian fashion. They just shut down debate and they killed Parler and they're still struggling trying to come back. Then, as you as you rightly point out, One America News was a casualty last year of 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 platforms that that lean left, and here we go. Directv, the parent company AT and T, these woke executives, uh, they decided to do the same thing to to Newsmax, the fourth most watched cable channel in, in the country. And w- I got to be honest with you, man, the, the level of transparency that Newsmax has been has been basically pulling back the curtain and letting everybody see how it's all done. And I remember 
the great Rush Limbaugh explaining how CNN and MSNBS, Mm -hmm. no ratings, gets all their money. And they get all their money from these carriage agreements, which I'll give you an example. This is something we put out the other day, and it's something I didn't even know, that for every subscriber that that DirecTV slash AT&T has, that they give CNN 12 bucks, 12 bucks, right? And and Newsmax said, hey, we don't want 12 bucks. We're, We're the fourth most watched cable now. All we want is $1 per cable subscriber. That's it. Nothing huge. And... The, the response from DirecTV was, no, no, we're, we're going to continue to give money to liberal networks that get less audience than Newsmax. And for you conservatives, we will give you nothing and you will like it. Hmm. Now, you know, this doesn't come as a surprise to me, Chris Salcedo, but it, it, it is disappointing. And it, it, I feel like, you know, I think a lot of people are going to have an initial reaction where they say, well, you know what? It's a free country. It's a private company. They want to do, you know, they want to do it. It's their company. Let them do what they got to do. However, I think on the other hand here, um, we have to be fair, right? And it's like, you know, if I'm, if I'm interviewing people for a political race, I have to be fair and interview both sides, at least allow myself to, to offer that time. And it's interesting how, you know, certain things are, seem to be quote unquote fair, but other things aren't fair. And and I understand the market can dictate things, but with Newsmax being the fourth uh, most watched, uh, highest rated uh, cable channel, it would make sense to me that being in the top five, they probably ought to, to, you know, bend a little bit and say, all right, let's negotiate. But it seems nothing's going on with any negotiations. No, no, uh, there is no negotiations. They're telling all their customers, which by the way, are, are fleeing in droves from our understanding telling all their customers that we're still negotiating. There's no negotiating that, that this was, it's kind of like Joe Biden with the debt ceiling. Joe Biden says he will not negotiate. Uh, Joe Biden is a left-wing extremist. Those people who run AT&T and, and direct TV are left-wing extremists. They said, we will not negotiate. And y- you know, you brought up something that I thought was pretty key. Uh, Gianno Caldwell, Fox news, Gianno Caldwell, right? Sure. He goes down in Florida. He's having breakfast. He gets told, by a white left-winger, hey, get out of my restaurant. I don't like your politics. Now, she had every right. She's a business owner. She has every right to ask somebody whose politics she doesn't like to leave. I don't think it's business sense, but she has every right. The issue with AT&T is that AT&T takes government contracts. AT&T takes taxpayer money. So we're calling on all members of Congress to stop funding for AT&T until they stop their ideological bigotry because Republicans pay taxes, Democrats pay taxes, liberals and conservatives pay taxes. And if you're going to take taxpayer money, AT&T, to the tune of billions, billions of dollars, you have, you cannot be ideologically bigoted as they are. Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent right. And, and I also think it, it opens the door to something that, you know, when I worked in government, I was a political appointee, uh, but I, I faced a lot of that ideological bigotry that you're talking about. And I thought that, and I remember, you know, getting backed into a corner and somebody said, oh, you should file a grievance. I said, for what? Those guys are all on the same team. But, you know, for, for kicks and giggles, I did. And what I was told was after an intense investigation, we found that there was nothing going on. And it really all stemmed from somebody found out I was at the governor's mansion for a Christmas party. And all of a sudden everything got crazy. And 
not to beat a dead horse on my personal story here, but at the time I thought to myself, fascinating how there were so many areas that were protected. My gender, my race, my heritage, this, that, and the other thing. But my politics were open season. It's okay to pick on people, even inside of the government, based on their politics. And I think it's high time that we add that as a protected class because people will continue to get um, marginalized or maligned because of their politics. And I don't know what it's going to take to get that added if it's even possible, but it seems to me that's going to be the only way to even the playing field because otherwise people are just going to keep saying, ah, if you're not one of us, you're out of here. Yeah, well, you see, the, 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 problem, the problem with that is, and I, and I agree with you, I think that people have examined the, uh, the protection for your, your political affiliation or your ideological persuasion. But right now we have... The, the AT&T version of government is the Department of Justice, the FBI, mm. the Treasury Department, the IRS, where those are not government agencies anymore. They're Democrat agencies. And I, as a conservative, don't want to fund a Democrat agency. I know you don't want to fund a Democrat agency. So that's the problem when government goes woke and partisan, when, you, when certain people of certain political persuasions can't get justice – when you have the FBI raiding President Trump, the FBI showing classified information of President Trump uh, in photographs, but they won't do the same to Hunter and they won't do the same to Joe Biden. Uh, they won't even do the same to their friend Mike Pence. I mean, this, this is a problem that, that this type of bias is not allowed in government and needs to be expunged. And as so long as, again, to bring it all full circle, as AT&T is taking government money, they they ought had to have all those contracts canceled, all those billions of dollars taken out of their pocket until they either comply or, hey, go it alone. You want to discriminate against we conservatives, fine, but you do it without my money. Yeah, makes sense to me. Now, Chris Salcedo, uh, I want you to stick with us because I wanted to get your political take on a couple of things that you mentioned in your preamble uh, today and to let people know about your show in case they're not already watching it. You don't know what you're missing. Folks, we're on with Chris Salcedo, and um, he's at chrissalcedo.com. But I also wanted to um, get your um, your social media handles, which I don't have handy, so let everybody know. Oh, oh yeah, well, that's all at chrissalcedo.com. That's the one-stop shop. Everything Perfect. is there. All the social. I, I'm on six of them for crying out loud. <laughs> All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Uh, our liberty loving Latino amigo Chris Salcedo is with us, and uh, we're going to continue to dig into the news of the day and continue this conversation. If you have a comment you want to lend to Chris Salcedo or me, Richie V, it's 8334 Valdez. That's the phone number. Don't move a muscle. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. It's America at Night with me. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's still me, Rich Valdez. I'm here with my buddy Chris Salcedo from Newsmax.com, NewsmaxTV.com. He's got an amazing show, the Chris Salcedo Show. you got to check it out. Uh, weekdays, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Fantastic show. You could find out more about Chris at ChrisSalcedo.com. And if you want to find out uh, the what we talked about in the last segment, it's IWantNewsmax.com. Go to IWantNewsmax.com. You'll find out exactly what you got to do to fight back against these uh, tech companies and tell them exactly what you think of them. I believe President Trump made a comment recently saying, uh, you know what, we've got to get away from AT&T, away from DirecTV. Let's cancel them if they're going to try and cancel conservatives. Chris Salcedo, welcome back. I want to um, get your take on this uh, breaking news story that we heard about earlier of Tyree Nichols. Uh, what's your initial reaction? I saw, uh, well, I, I have the circumstance behind this. We had, uh, uh, I think, I think, you know, Todd Starnes, uh, formerly of Fox news has radio sure. stations out there. He's on the ground in Memphis. We had him on the show and, and, and you have been a frequent guest on the show as well. And, and we had him on today and he gave us the four one one that Memphis about ready to, to melt down. It's a Democrat city. They have made all kinds of all kinds of rules and regulations that have gone against public safety out there. And the, the hiring practices uh, for police officers, you can actually hire a police officer who's got felony in that city wow. because Democrats run it. So uh, it's a full on blue city, Democrat city, majority uh, minority city and five black police officers beat the tar out of this suspect who ran from them initially. And my understanding is I haven't seen the video yet, but my understanding was the video is about three minutes long, which is two minutes longer than the Rodney King beating. So, and, and they beat this, this guy basically to death and they're calling it supremacy. And which, which I don't, I don't get. Uh, that there, there are left-wing activists on the ground in Memphis, in a Democrat city, in a blue city. Five black police officers beat a black man to death, and they call it white supremacy. I don't get it. I don't pretend to understand it. It's kind of weird, but th- this is what happens when you let left-wingers take over your city, and you let left-wing mentalities rule the day. You get lawlessness, violence, and then when it all comes crashing down, unaccountability. Wow. Well, first of all, thanks uh, for, for having me on your show pretty regularly. I do appreciate that. And um, in response to all of this, yeah, I um, I, I kind of scanned through on fast forward uh, the, the video and it, it was uh, some of it was tough to see. There were multiple videos that were released just before I came on the air and I was I haven't watched it with audio. I was watching it without audio and it seemed I mean, it doesn't matter what I see, honestly, I, I think you can agree with me and that 
whatever is the situation, if you get pulled over and you're not trying to kill a cop, you should probably be able to walk away from this thing. Um, if you're resisting and you get arrested, all right, it might get a little rough, but you, you shouldn't end up dead. That this is my take. And, and again, I went to the police academy and served as a volunteer cop in Nutley, New Jersey. And and you should, that's just, to me, it's basic, um, you know, human decency 101. Uh, but Antifa when, is when called. The, when the police commander. Yeah. Yeah, when, yeah. when the police commander can't say why the gentleman was pulled over, they, he can't even say why they were pulled over. And this guy ends up dead. There's a lot. There are a lot of questions right. to, and be, you, and to be answered. And hundred percent, I'm with you. And, and listen, th- this stuff always irks me because my brothers were cops. I support law enforcement, but I don't support big government, and I never have. And especially when big government uses the police or the police themselves decide to to go an inch further than they need to or because they don't know what they're doing or because, like you mentioned, uh, poor hiring practices, putting the wrong people into positions of authority, et cetera. And uh, it, it, this is a this is a, a terrible thing. The, the whole thing is, in my opinion, it's just a horrible thing. But Antifa is calling for activists in, in New York City and uh, from what I understand as well in, in Memphis uh, to burn it all down and – you know, I look at something like this and I think, you know, I understand the ire. I understand the frustration. Um, you know, I try to be a human first before any type of commentator and think, you know, I have two kids, 17-year-old girl and a 21-year-old girl. And um, I, w- I would hate to ever be that family. I would hate to be in their position. And I think of how would I respond? I don't think I'd r- respond with, 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 with pleasantries. You know what I mean? And uh, so you look at this and you think whatever, but at the same time, we're not burning things down either, right? So I think it's important for for there to be a, I guess a uh, a barometer of of peace, legitimate peace, where you have your protest, where you know not fiery but peaceful, but peaceful nonetheless. And it seems like today that seems to be something that's uh, poorly understood, and sadly, it falls along ideological lines. Lines. Well, well, see, and that, and that's I think that's where you're looking at it intellectually. Uh, whatever seems to happen that they can spin to make political pay, it, no matter no matter what happens, Antifa wants to burn America down. No matter what right. happens, BLM <laughs> wants to burn America down. I mean, it could be it could be uh, a cheating is discovered at the Kentucky Derby. Let's burn it down, says Antifa. Okay, so that that's going to be their deal because the main objective isn't for peace, as you were calling for. The main objective is to burn America down. So they're going to use whatever excuse there is. Uh, And so that's why I illustrated that here you have five black police officers in a Democrat-run city, likely poor standards, poor training, poor pay, and a consequence of having people who don't administer government very well, left-wingers, You've got then you've got the natural abuses that stem from that. And then they want to blame white supremacy. Not one white person was responsible for this death. But see, it's just like Antifa. It's burn it down. No matter what goes wrong, it's all white supremacy, even if it's if it's black individuals partaking in the crime or alleged crime. So I think think we as intellectuals have to look at that and understand the nature of what these the Antifa folks are not helpful. The BLM folks are not helpful. They don't want a solution. They just want to burn things down. I think that however many people on the left are still around who want to have a rational discussion, we've got to find those people and try to figure out ways to have law enforcement be effective, supportive, 
supported and effective inside of their communities. 100 uh, percent. And stick with me for one more segment, Chris, because I want to get your take on this Paul Pelosi video body cam stuff, as well as what you think is going to happen with uh, some of the Hunter Biden or I should say Biden crime family uh, developments that are are coming down the pipe with the Treasury uh, refusing to hand over documents to the House Oversight Committee. Yeah, they're going to stonewall forever. I, just, I want your take on that. So don't go anywhere, folks. I am Rich Valdez. He's Chris Salcedo. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. With the Chief of Staff News today, um... That position is one of the more powerful ones in Washington that has never been held by someone who is not white and male. Would the president commit to uh, choosing a chief of staff who is not white and male if Jeff Zients were to leave before the end of the president's term? Here's what I say. I'll say to this. Um, I'm certainly not going to get ahead of the president. That is not something that I can do uh, from here. But look, and I kind of said it at the top, the Biden-Harris administration is the most diverse in history. That is a fact. All right. That is Karine Jean-Pierre. And uh, it's interesting how we were talking about race and uh, the, the role that race plays. And it seems like the media is uh, the, the main culprit in perpetuating at looking at life through the lens of racism or at least racialism. And I say I'm going to nominate Chris Salcedo to be the next White House chief of staff. And I think they already have somebody in mind. But Chris Salcedo is brown and he is a man. Right. I think he identifies as a brown man. Chris Salcedo, welcome back. <laughs> it's good to be back. You know, I, I'm listening. Karine Jean-Pierre, when she took the job, she she listed as her qualifications, Richie. You remember this. She gets mm-hmm. up there and says she's a woman, she's black, she's a foreigner, and she's a lesbian. And they check all of these boxes, right? And, and it's Amazing. like nothing about her qualifications to be press secretary. It's as if her identity qualifies her. And, of course, the press falls into this. Not one not one mention of qualifications. Who's the best person for the job? No, this, it, we, we're going to skip best person for the job to put somebody of color in there. Or, or I mean, could the reverse be true? Could we say, oh, wait a minute, we're going to ignore, let's say, Chris Salcedo is the best guy for the job, but, he's, but we're going to go with a white guy. We're going to go with a white guy <laughs> because of the color of skin. I mean, Th- th- these people don't even hear themselves because this, this this woke BS has really perverted their minds. Yeah, it, it's a shame. And, you know, I, I find it fascinating that they they put it out there so blatantly and that so many people accept it. Kind of like when Biden was nominating Ketanji Brown Jackson and et cetera, saying, you know, we're going to hire people based on on, you know, what they are, what they stand for. Uh, and I don't mean ideologically. I mean, you know, physically who they are. Now, from from Biden. Oh, well, right, well, right. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say right. That that is that is exactly a, a perfect point. Katanji Brown Jackson was not was not nominated because of her qualifications. Joe Biden said, "I am going to put a black woman on the court." That was racist and sexist, and they get away with it because left left wingers get to be ra- racist as they want to be. They get to be sexist as they want to be. Uh, 
no, I mean, basically, a Republican has to get up there and say, we're going to get the best person for the job. And the, the, the new standard is anti-Dr. Martin Luther King. I, I thought Dr. Martin Luther King was a fantastic man. I believed yeah. in judging somebody by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And this press, this left wing in this country has turned it all on its ear in the service to Marxism. Well, yeah, and you're 100 percent right. Biden did that also with uh, Kamala Harris saying, I'm going to nominate a black woman as uh, my vice president because he's able to define women, although they're not. Uh, but you're right. This attack on, on Martin Luther King is uh, is an interesting thing. And this uh, focus on color and, and how they normalize it. I think that has a lot to do with Ibram X. Kendi and his his model of anti-racism and kind of creating this false equivalency that if you're not an anti-racist, then you're, uh, you know, making you out to be a racist. Racist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a sad way of thinking, in my opinion. And I think we invited him on a while back and he didn't accept the um, the invitation. But th- these are people I think we need to, to, you know, hold their feet to the fire a little bit. Now, speaking of holding one's feet to the fire, the Los Angeles police, they are uh, excuse me, the San Francisco police. They didn't want to release this body cam footage for Paul Pelosi when he was attacked with a hammer. And uh, it was released earlier today, and uh, I saw it, and I, I mean, it was it was somewhat of a bizarre thing, and I feel badly. Listen, my dad had a brain injury, not from anything like that happened to Mr. Pelosi, but nonetheless, brain injuries can be very severe. So, you know, I felt bad for the guy, but I'm looking at the video, and I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? He's like, seemed like he had a drink in his hand. He seemed like he was laughing. Ha, ha, ha. Hey, officer, how are you? And he, he was, but yet he's keeping the guy at bay with his other hand. Like, yeah, can you stay away from me, pal? Yeah, yeah. Stay over there. And next thing you know, the guy swings overhead and hits him with a hat. It was the craziest thing. What did you make of that? <laughs> well, I, I, I wish I knew. I'm watching the video, and you're right. Everybody's smiling, and yeah, kind of a little uncomfortable. And there's Paul Pelosi. Looked to me like he was in his underwear. I don't know. But, well, I mean, he was in his own home. I guess it makes sense for a guy to be in his underwear if, this, if the story about sure. this guy breaking into Pelosi's home is, is true. And uh, he's holding a ham. He's holding the hammer, and that's not a euphemism. It was an actually ha- it was a hammer, <laughs> as Todd Starnes said to me. <laughs> Todd, Todd Starnes said to me today, and and then he starts swinging. And what I was struck by is I'm watching this whole video unfold, and there was this reporter that NBC News suspended for reporting exactly what was in that video. He reported mm-hmm. it. And they suspended him for it. This, this is NBC News. We don't believe in telling the truth, so we suspend our reporters for telling the truth about Democrats. That was my takeaway from watching that video. But, man, just how weird and, and crazy is it in Democrat circles? Seriously. It's it's just as crazy as AT&T and DirecTV saying we're going to suspend Newsmax. We're going to you know, we're not going to give you any money and you're just not going to be here uh, because we don't like what you say. I mean, it's the same to me. It's the same type of thing. And it's just crazy. It was crazy that they tried to hide the video. Everybody puts the video out. Even this this fatal incident in Memphis, the video is coming out. But yet here we are. Lo and behold. Uh, Chris Salcedo, in the time that we have remaining, I-, I just want to tell the audience, if you haven't checked out the Chris Salcedo show, you have to check it out. It's a fantastic show, and he's not just there because he's brown. The guy's a tremendous talent. He has tremendous on-screen presence. He's, uh, he's a former newsman. He knows what he's talking about. You should check out the show. He's one of the best talents in cable TV, hands down. That's my opinion. Chris, final word to you. 
Hey, man, I just want to tell you, uh, congratulations on the new show. So proud of you, brother. And you. you are knocking out of the park every night. You're the man, brother. The check is in the mail. <laughs> I appreciate All right, brother, you good night. up late God bless you brother good to talk to you everybody Chris Salcedo check him out at chrissalcedo.com if you want to follow the uh, Newsmax uh, situation that's iwantnewsmax.com and of course there's more to come straight ahead your calls and more 833-4-VALDEZ 833-4-VALDEZ we'll be right back this is America at Night with Rich Valdez America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're going to go to the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to KWTO, Crane, Missouri. Sharon, welcome. Hello, Mr. Valdez. Good uh, evening. I'd like to comment about, good evening. I'd like to comment about the situation in Memphis. Mm. Um, my ex-husband was an MP in the Army during Vietnam. And he told me numerous times that the black MPs were a lot harder on the black soldiers than they were on the white ones. And I said, well, why is that? He said, I don't know. He said, I think they expect them to do better or be better or something. He said, I don't know. And I have seen it among my own friends that there is Boy, I'm going to get it for this. There is racism among blacks against other blacks because of the tone and lightness or darkness of their skin. Oh, yeah. This is called colorism. And this actually uh, exists in a lot of places, including Hispanic countries that have like Puerto Rico. uh, Not so much Puerto Rico, but I'd say Panama. Panama has a, a history of colorism, as do other countries. Uh, Cuba also has a history of colorism. The, the the darker you are, the less desirable. So, you know, somebody who's my color, a little darker than me, like my dad was, would look at somebody who's even darker and, you know, as if they were somehow less than. And uh, colorism exists in a lot of places, not just in the Caribbean. And, uh, you know, uh, they always say clean up your own doorstep before you try and clean up somebody else's. So yeah. maybe that's something. Yeah. Right. And if that was their intention, um, they failed miserably. Instead of cleaning up their doorstep, they made the, the city look like, a, you know, like these people are ruthless. And five guys, you know, they, they don't even know why they pulled the guy over. And now the guy's dead. But I understand what you're saying. And I think it's important for people to police their own by their own. I mean, you know, their neighborhood, their people, not necessarily uh, filtered by race, per se. Uh, but and that might be part of the bias. You know, when we played that clip from the police chief, she said that she felt that there seemed to be some sort of bias there. I don't know. And I guess when this trial, you know, um, kicks off, we'll we'll hear more about it. But I know it's unfortunate. And um, and I want to thank your ex-husband for his service um, in your former husband for his service to the country. And I'm guessing in that time of the military, you know, there was probably a lot more racial tension than there is in today's military where. You know, they, they're kind of, uh, you know, you've got General Milley talking about 
trying to understand white rage <laughs> and the things that they go on about with this critical race theory and whatnot. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit tonight as well with critical race theory. But um, I think it's, an, it's a good point. It's a fair point that sometimes people are harder on the people they relate to the most because they feel that they expect a little more from them. Um, I'm, I don't think that's correct. I think you have to have a sense of fairness, a sense of equity. Uh, you know, and equality and just, you know, what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander and you just got to call them the way they are. And uh, this is a fortunate situation. I feel badly. I really do. I hate, I hate news like this. It's never fun to talk about. So we will find something else to talk about in the next segment because we're going to talk to James Agresti. JustFacts.com is his website. He's terrific. We're talking about the border, Biden and more. Don't go anywhere because there's more to come with me, Rich Valdez. It's America at night. 833 833- for Valdez is the number. Give us a call and plus open phone America in the following hour. Don't go anywhere. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, it's Friday night. We're live. We're national. Our phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337, or the legacy line. You know that one, 866-505-4626. Give us a call if you want to join the conversation. Uh, A couple of quick headlines here. This um, story... Uh, You might have heard it earlier. I put it out on social media a little while ago, but there were Palestinian terrorists shooting people at a uh, Jerusalem synagogue that ended with seven dead, uh, which is uh, very unfortunate, especially that it's World Holocaust Day. And it makes you think, man, what is going on? Ah, Clearly, we know what's going on, but it's a shame that that's what's going on. Plus, um, the Biden administration is moving to restart some Trump-era rapid asylum screenings at the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, Well, it looks like maybe they're trying to go in the right direction, although I I don't buy that uh, as much as Reuters wants to print it. And I want to jump into this topic of the border because there's a lot that's happening at the border and not enough being spoken about. And... When I like to get my facts, I like to go to a place called JustFacts.com. Jim Agresti's been terrific in starting Just Facts and keeping it uh, afloat and and just doing amazing work there. And he's the president of Just Facts, and he joins us now. Jim Agresti, welcome, sir. Richie V, it's an honor and pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, brother, for for, um, staying up late to be on with us. So um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the latest material that you're putting out on the border, because there's a lot uh, to discuss. And, and I'd like to dig into a little bit of it, if you don't mind. I'd love to. All right. So let me see here. I've got something in front of me that we got uh, one of your pieces. It says the border is less secure than ever and the implications are deadly. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, 
Joe Biden and his um, administration, various uh, people within his administration, saying the border is secure. And, and we're doing a bang-up job on this border. Um, but the problem is that every empirical measure I can uh, dig up on border security shows that the border is less secure than it's ever been in the history of the United States for as far back as this data goes. Now, some of it doesn't go back that far. Uh, some of it only goes back to 2014. Some of it goes back to 1960. But what we've done in this article is chart out these measures and they're absolutely staggering in how bad they are. Uh, one of the ones that really jumps out and one of the most important measures is called gotaways. Uh, these are people who have illegally crossed the border and managed to evade capture. Um, the Border Patrol keeps measures of them because they can see them on drones and cameras, footprints, other evidence that they've uh, crossed the border and gotten away. And uh, they're currently 4.7 times the average before Joe Biden took office. Uh, talking 599,000 of these people just in 2022 alone. Unbelievable. So uh, obviously, I mean, this is a, a debate that's been going on for quite a while with people saying <clears throat> it seems that Joe Biden is, you know, uh, intentionally leaving the back gate open, uh, letting people into the country and trying to come up with every administrative way possible to allow this mass transfer of people into the country. What do you think is the impetus for something like that? Well, I could posit a whole bunch of theories. You know, one of the prevailing ones is, hey, these are future Democratic voters and people who have been in charge of so-called immigration reform and have pushed from it. High level people have said it point blank. Hey, this is going to produce a working Democratic majority for the foreseeable future. We need to get this done. Um, but when you say letting people in the back door, he's also letting them in the front door. Because mm -hmm. even people who have been apprehended, he's let a million of those people into the country uh, under claims of asylum, when in fact most of those claims are entirely bogus. But what happens is the process is so drawn out, and deportations are rarely done unless somebody commits a serious crime in the United States. So these people come in, uh, they uh, claim asylum, they never have to show up, and, the pro and they stay here for infinity. Yeah. And this has, um, you know, at, at some point it has an effect on uh, everybody, right? Not just, I mean, we're seeing in New York, Mayor Eric Adams is up in arms saying, I can't deal with the immigration crisis by myself. This is, you know, I'm, I'm not a border state. It's kind of like what he's saying. And I just, I can't help but laugh at it because I find it to be ridiculous. But the reason why is, A, it's a human being problem. You just have to house people, and they're filling up hotels that were closed down from COVID and whatnot and paying uh, top dollar for these rooms to house these people. But they're also there's also an effect on, on labor. There's also an effect on the economy. And, you know, I'm looking at Ted Lieu today, uh, uh, Congressman Ted Lieu, who makes a comment today saying that uh, we should – we should be thankful that Biden has been, um, you know, selling off uh, barrels of our strategic petroleum reserve because that lowers our gas prices. <laughs> and I think, you know, wow, this is the way they try to, in my opinion, manipulate the economy and manipulate numbers so that 
we can maybe turn a blind eye to what's happening at the border, uh, but we still have this GDP growth problem that we've had. We still have this problem with interest rates growing uh, uh, a lot faster than um, than our inflation's going down, and nobody seems to care to reconcile it. All everything you say, Richie, is entirely true. Um, but I think there's even a worse issue here, mm-hmm. and that's crime. These 599,000 people that crossed the border entirely unvetted in 2022, uh, these are some people that could not get in legally. That's why they took the illegal route. So when you come in legally, you're screened for criminal history, uh, a bunch of other rich factors that could create a problem for other people. Now, the media will tell you all these illegal immigrants are very law-abiding because they don't want to uh, create a problem for themselves and get deported. Here are the facts. Uh, in 2018, the U.S. Government Accountability Office did a study of non-citizens who were serving time in U.S. jails from uh, 2010 to 2016. And over the history of their lifetime, their criminal records, these individuals had committed 500,000 assaults, 134,000 sex offenses, 33,000 homicides, 24,000 kidnappings, and 1,500 acts of terrorism. This is, these numbers are staggering. My uh, and it, it, it's just unbelievable. You think about, it, it brings to mind a comment from uh, Joseph Stalin, which is, uh, one death is a tragedy, a million is merely a statistic. And I think that's what we're dealing with here. Sadly, makes a lot of sense. Folks, we're on with uh, James Agresti, president at uh, Just Facts on uh, social media at Real Just Facts, J-U-S-T-F-A-C-T-S. The website is justfactsjustfacts.com. And uh, we're going to continue with him. We're going to continue to talk about what's going on domestically here uh, within the government, the scandal that's plaguing the White House. You've got President Biden um, under fire for classified documents, and those documents might have a connection to his son, Hunter Biden, and the money he's collecting. So we're going to get into that and a lot more. Is there a smoking gun here? Yes or no? Jim Agresti's going to point us to the facts on this one. Don't go anywhere. There is more to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. On the documents, have any more classified documents been located in any places associated with President Biden? I would refer you to the White House Counsel's Office. Okay, and why do White House officials insist that the President self-reported the classified materials if his lawyers initially called the White House and not the Justice Department? I would refer you to the White House Counsel. But we heard from this podium the other day that President Biden uh, self-reported the materials. That's not what, exactly what happened. Who did you hear that from? John Kirby. Well, I would refer you to the White House Counsel. 
Okay, I'm going to refer you guys to the White House Council, but he's not there right now, so you can listen to this. We've got James Agresti here from Just Facts. And, uh, Jim, you heard that audio. Uh, there's classified documents everywhere. I advise you to go through your offices at Just Facts. Make sure you don't have any classified documents there. I stumbled upon some here in the studio the other day. What do you make of all this? <laughs> well, I mean, it is beyond belief of the hypocrisy here and the double standards with between Trump and how Biden are being treated by the Department of Justice. Might I say Biden's Department of Justice, they work for him. And I think that's obvious to everyone who's looking at this. Yeah. You know, what I think is interesting is how they keep referring everybody to the White House Counsel's office because they're really lawyered up here. You know, it's, I plead the fifth, right? Nobody wants to say anything and self-incriminate. Uh, they're willing to self-report, but they don't want any self-incrimination, and, and that's their right. But it's just fascinating to me that this is how it is, and I, I can't help but think, um, A, um, you know, those that are being, you know, conspicuously quiet like Kamala Harris and other former presidents, Barack Obama, and, and Hunter Biden hasn't said a word. And he had access to all these offices and, and, and documents and whatnot. And, and he's got a world of hurt of his own that you guys have been reporting about. Tell us about it. So uh, I'm sure your listeners are, are very uh, familiar with the Ukraine episode, so I don't want to provide too much background on it. But very briefly, the largest natural gas producer in Ukraine hired Hunter Biden for $83,000 a month that's it. Uh, a month after Joe Biden went to Ukraine and gave a speech to its parliament saying, we're going to help you increase your fossil fuel production. <laughs> OK, uh, <laughs> no reason for them to give him this job other than the last name Biden. No experience in the industry, no uh, knowledge of Ukraine. It, it was clearly a job with a connection. And as we all know, uh, President Biden himself uh, said uh, he threatened the president of Ukraine that if they didn't fire the prosecutor general, uh, that he was going to withhold a billion dollars in USAID from them. And as it turned out, that prosecutor general was investigating Hunter Biden's sugar daddy. Now, Joe will say, oh, you know, that guy was corrupt. We needed to get rid of that prosecutor anyway. But there is evidence to the contrary on Hunter Biden's laptop and virtually no one is talking about it. So we're going to break a little news here. Here we go. So on the laptop, there's a November 22nd email, a November 2nd, 2005, 15 email from an executive of this oil company or gas company, Burisma, in which he tells Hunter and his business partners, I want you to enlist top U.S. officials. Uh, the words I'm saying here are quotes to visit Ukraine and pressure Ukrainian officials to close down all cases pursuits against the owner of this company. So mm. these were the orders that were given to Hunter from this executive. Not only that, he said, these are the people I want you to go after. I want you to go after the president of Ukraine and the prosecutor general. So Hunter and his partners reply to the executives and they say this, we're down with this. We're going to do this. However, we're going to deliberately conceal the names of the U.S. officials who will carry out this plan to be on the safe and cautious side. Hmm. One month later, Joe Biden does exactly what these emails specify. He visits Ukraine and he tells the president 
unless you give, uh, unless you fire that prosecutor, uh, you're not getting a billion dollars. This is unbelievable. This sounds like a smoking gun. There's no question. It's, and again, with the double standards, if this were Trump and his son, the FBI agents would have had them in handcuffs a long time ago. Now, Jim Agresti, number one, um, is Barisma hiring? Because 83 k a month sounds pretty good. <laughs> That's great, too. And, and, and Richie, we, we can do that from home on top of our regular gigs. Yeah, well, <laughs> sign me up twice. <laughs> and, and by the way, you, you bring up an interesting point. I'm, t- I'm talking about us. We're joking around. But n- not only did uh, Burisma hire Hunt, they hired his business partner, Devin Archer, who, by the way, recently did jail time. He's affiliated with um, John Kerry, State Department. Isn't that his stepdad? Uh, yeah, something like that. I forget the exact relationship. But, but the point is he hired the, you know, the, the son of the vice president, the stepson or, or whatever of the secretary of state, uh, and then has them running uh, jobs that basically entail bribery, extortion, and obstruction of justice. Wow. So, again, this is uh, we've heard this story before, but I think we've heard it minus this email um, that, that you were pointing out that came from the uh, notorious um, laptop from hell, as it's been dubbed by Miranda Devine and others. So if, if folks that are listening right now want to check out this email uh, and you're um, reporting on it, how do they find that? So this particular article is on one of our websites. It's called JustFactsDaily.com. And uh, just go there, plug the search engine in for Biden, and you'll find a couple of articles with an unbelievable amount of detail about this. I have the original banking records showing the, the money transfers. I have the original emails. Uh, you can link to and see all the primary source documents. I've got the payments. The hunter started out in an Excel file. Um, Anything you ever wanted to know about this particular aspect of what Joe Biden was doing, this isn't just about Hunter, you will find there documented to the help. All right. Well, this is serious, folks. Check it out at uh, JustFactsDaily.com, which is their daily website, which also has really cool things like the question of the day, and you can check that out and really uh, bone up on your facts. Uh, And the main website is JustFacts.com, J-U-S-T-F-A-C-T-S justfacts.com. Now, um, Jim McGresty, how else um, could people follow you? Is there anywhere else, any social media outlets you want to mention? Sure. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter uh, at Real Just Facts. But the best way to follow us is go to justfacts.com forward slash notification and enter your email. That there's, there's nothing between you and us. And by the way, we don't spam people. You get no more than an email a week from us it will keep you abreast on all the research we are conducting. Check them out. I, I'm subscribed. I, I urge you to subscribe, too. It's really good information. One of the unique things about uh, my favorite think tank, Just Facts, is that they, um, they use primary source data. And this isn't just conjecture. This is exactly what the name implies. It's just facts. Jim Agresti, I want to thank you for joining us today. Godspeed to you, sir. Richie, same to you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thank you so much for being here. Now, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to get into a conversation on critical race theory and uh, the implications that's had. Is it helping anybody? And is America raising a 
generation of victims. Well, uh, our next guest says that this is pernicious, and um, he's been heavily criticized by progressives as a traitor of his own race, and all because he's unpacked the dangers of this color-based collectivist idea of critical race theory. So we're going to jump into that. We kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, and we're going to drill down on it now. Plus, your calls and more in Open Phone America, and that's at the top of the hour. So don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. I'm Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And I'm looking at a piece in uh, Fox News. First of all, Wall Street Journal uh, is uh, highlighting um, some stuff coming out of Florida, Ron DeSantis and his um, efforts to curtail critical race theory in Florida have drawn some criticism. Fox News is reporting that public universities in Florida spent $15 million of taxpayer dollars on critical race theory, uh, which they call diversity initiatives. And uh, our next guest has a book out where he specifically addresses this as a pernicious problem. The name of the book, or the title, I should say, is Raising Victims, the Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. The author is Leonidas Johnson, and he's our guest right now. Welcome, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. So I want to dig into this because this is one of those things. It's like a bad rash. This topic keeps coming back, and I feel like we address it and we don't address it. And, and it seems like there, there are people that um, support this idea or some that I think risk, misrepresent the idea, saying that, you know, if you remove critical race theory uh, or any of the critical theories from from the uh, academic framework in K through 12, that we're somehow uh, providing a disservice to students because – we're, we're teaching them um, to be uh, racist if we're not teaching them to be anti-racists. And I know I'm convoluting a little bit of it here, but I want you to help us make sense of it all. Yeah, well, you, you get a lot of that. You, but what you get mostly is that critical race theory is not taught in schools at all. And, mm-hmm. and what your understanding is of critical race theory is just wrong, Rich. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. And you just it's just completely dismissed, right? You. And so... Um, right, right. They'll gaslight you and they'll tell you that you don't know what you're talking about. And the race centric curriculums are not critical race theory in order to shut down debate. And so what they're actually doing is they're taking the, the ideology of critical race theory and they're sanitizing it by hiding it behind diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives, anti-racism, social, uh, emotional learning. I, I, I mean, pick one. Yeah, and, and, and that's what makes it so elusive because, you know, you, you can ban critical race theory as uh, Ron DeSantis has done in Florida and then a couple of other governors have been targeting it around the, mm-hmm. around the country. You, you can do that specifically and say you can't teach critical race theory. And all they do is they, they change the terminology and they change what they're doing. And teachers and administrators have been caught on video saying that this is what they're doing. They're hiding these ideas in the classrooms and they're trying to sneak them into children. And, and to your point about uh, you know, the argument that, well, this is just going to make kids more racist and, and that sort of thing, what people need to understand is that this ideology 
is extremely neo-Marxist in its origins. The, it's the idea that racism is completely woven into the fabric of our society, that it re- completely rejects the foundation of our Western culture. It goes far beyond simply teaching you know, uh, American history or, or teaching and pushing back against individual acts of racism. It's saying that the entirety of our society is racist and we're founding on, founded on white supremacy. And so, yeah, they, they, it's complete gaslighting and completely uh, uh, deceptive maneuvering to try to hide what they're doing in these classrooms. You know, I think you you make an interesting point here, a really relevant point, an important uh, key point, because uh, earlier we were talking about some of the breaking news uh, with respect to the these impending riots uh, in Memphis, Tennessee and other large cities uh, with respect to uh, Tyree Nichols and um, the the situation where he was he was killed by police officers and and Antifa's vowed to to burn everything down. And somebody was just saying, you know. They're always going to burn something down. Just give them a reason. They're always looking for a reason to do that. They're always looking for a reason to say that this is un-American somehow. And it's because they're un-American and, and kind of in their founding. This is their 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 approach. So when they say that this is a, a white supremacy problem, it, in reality, everything that's American in their view is a white supremacy problem. Because even if there was slavery, which there was a million years ago, 500 years ago, the founding of the country – um, this is prevalent and pervasive today in their opinion. Whereas I think you aptly point out that the real problem that's pernicious today is this addiction to looking at things through the lens of racism. Isn't that right? Right. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, on, on Twitter right now, Jamel Hill and people like Jamel Hill and Bree Newsom and, Several others, uh, Van Jones, uh, talking about how this is an example of systemic racism and white supremacy, even though it was five black police officers and, and a supposed uh, a, a black victim. And, but somehow this is still viewed through the lens of white supremacy. And in order to make sense of that, you have to understand that this ideology does see that. It, it sees that the entirety of our – like everything can be viewed through the lens of white supremacy because the foundation of our country is white supremacist. The, uh, the, the foundation of Western culture is white supremacist. That's what they believe or what they purport to believe anyways in order to justify their, their, their grabs for power. But, but yeah, on, on a more practical level, uh, what are the implications? And these are the questions that you have to ask yourself. What are the implications of dividing up Americans by race and pitting groups against each other based on race? And that's not a question that's theoretical. We've already seen how, how that plays out throughout history. And what critical race theorists are trying to do is trying to uh, basically up in the, the supposed hierarchy and uh, turn the table, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And when they're doing that to children, when they're doing that to children, they're, they're infusing these, these ideas of collective guilt and collective victimhood into young, impressionable children and basically c- creating foot soldiers for the cause. And um, you, you saw that sort of thing happen in places like Maoist China during the Chinese Cultural Revolution. And it's not a, that's not a coincidence because both things are decidedly neo-Marxist in their origins. And they both have this idea that the past needs to be erased. And, that, and, and Mao, Mao himself said that in order to create a new society, the old site needs to be swept clean. 
So that's what we're seeing in our society, this idea that the old site needs to be swept. We need to get rid of police. We need to get rid of uh, our cultural institutions. Our, we need to get rid of the Constitution. Uh, all of these ideas, all these the the uh, the the Americanisms, mm-hmm. the the foundation of our country needs to be completely erased in order to build up this new utopia. And that's basically what we're seeing in our society right now. We're on with Leonidas Johnson. He's the author of Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. And straight ahead, we're going to discuss what he writes about in the book, Slaying Invisible Dragons and Why Progressives Are Threatened by Colorblindness. So don't go anywhere. I want to dig into that with Leonidas Johnson. I'm Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. And remember, Open Phone America, America's late night town hall, the third hour of this program, uh, is starting at the top of the next hour. So give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. Right now, our guest is Leonidas Johnson. He's the author of Raising Victims, the Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. And he writes about slaying invisible dragons, why progressives are threatened by colorblindness. Tell us why. Yeah, so the, the invisible dragon thing comes from an allegory told by Ken Minogue, who is an Australian philosopher. And he coined, a, he coined a phrase called St. George and Retirement Syndrome. And the allegory goes that St. George was this prolific dragon slayer, and he was a big hero uh, all the villagers loved him. He went around slaying dragons and he eventually slayed all the dragons in the land and he was able to go into retirement. And he's when he's in retirement and relaxing and but he suddenly has an identity crisis because he had rooted his entire identity in slaying dragons. And so he has no more dragons to slay. So he doesn't know who he is. His life has lost meaning and lost purpose. But suddenly he looks out the window and what does he see? A dragon. And so suddenly his life has purpose again, and he runs outside, he grabs his sword, and he slays this dragon. And then suddenly there's dragons everywhere. There's dragons that bark. There's dragons that quack. There's dragons that, that claim to be villagers, even. And he slays you them all. You mean dragons that identify as villagers? <laughs> Yes, the dragons that identify as villagers, exactly. <laughs> and he slays them all. And, but, and, he's, and he's eventually seen swinging his sword at thin air, even, and proclaiming it to be the, the fiercest dragon of them all. But it, it's, a, it's a very appropriate allegory because it's so applicable to progressivism as a whole, and as well as critical race theory specifically, because you have these people who have rooted their identity in slaying dragons, and at one time, let's be real, there were actual dragons of racism in our country that needed to be slain. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist now. Of course it does. I'm, I'm accused of that sometimes. But I, I, obviously racism exists. But to say that there are dragons roaming the land and they all need to be slain is just it, it's incorrect. But now these people, have, they, they, they're seeking out their identity. And they feel like it, since there aren't those dragons out there to slay, the only solution is to create them, to, to fabricate them. And I mentioned Jamel Hill and, and earlier and the people who are 
making this uh, Tyree Nichols thing out to be a racial thing. And that's what they're doing. They're slaying <laughs> invisible dragon. They're coming out with their shields and their swords and their helmets. And they're saying, look, the racism again. Now when I'm back, I, St. George has returned to slay the dragons and the hero is the hero has, has returned to the, to the countryside. So <laughs> it's this, it's the same kind of mentality of people who are seeking to maintain this identity of, uh, uh, well, either either victimhood or at least uh, fighting against some some oppressive force, and you know it's the it's the exact same. So I find that allegory to be very <laughs> a very potent one. Now I want to ask you uh, about the the other side of that with respect to this same allegory of slaying dragons, but about why the the left or the progressive left um, are threatened by the idea of color blindness and. And I would say it's not just um, exclusive to the left. I've spoken with, you know, uh, uh, civil rights activists and and people in the ministry, saying that no, we shouldn't look at things as colorblind. We should we should we should see color. We sh- we know who people are. We should accept them for who they are. Uh, what we but we should never judge. Like Martin Luther King said, you know, let's judge them on the content of their character, not on the color of the skin that we do see. And so I stood corrected because I felt that colorblindness was was an appropriate way. I don't care what color you are. I care about, you know, what you're bringing to the table. But after this correction uh, that was given to me pretty recently, and I respect it, um, what, what is their aversion to judging by the content of one's character as opposed to judging by the color of their skin? So I, I think it's just when it comes from when it comes from a place where it's a more somebody that's more conservative uh, that that agrees with the uh, anti-race essentialism sort of stance. Uh, I, I think it's just a misunderstanding of what colorblindness means or what people mean when they say colorblindness. Now, when, when it comes from more the progressive side, with the people that are very much race essentialists who push the critical race theory stuff. They, on that side, I think it's it's very much meant to be deceptive and um, a misrepresentation of what colorblindness means. Now, for me, colorblindness is not meant to be taken literally, and I, I think that's most when most people say that they're colorblind, they're not meaning that they're literally colorblind. So I think that's a very disingenuous argument to say that oh well, of course we see color. Well, yeah, that's not what it means. Like it's it's a metaphor. It's like Coleman Hughes a couple of weeks ago said that it, you know it's like using the term warm-hearted or cold-hearted. Uh, you know, not right. you don't literally mean that somebody is cold-hearted. You you know you're you're making a statement that's you know meant to be figurative, and that's what colorblindness is. It's it's meant it's meant to be those things that you know you're you're seeing people as individuals and not as collective groups and you're not making judgments about them based on color that's what color blindness means it doesn't mean that you literally can't see color now i would say about the people who are race essentialists who cling to the critical race theory ideology it's it's very much the george, the saint george and retirement syndrome the identity syndrome where you know if we if we did move into a colorblind society rich and mm-hmm. we it, it was we, we moved into a post-racial society, then they would not be able to maintain this identity of victimhood and they would not be able to continue to push grievance politics. And right. let's be honest, there's a huge incentive to continue pushing grievance politics. Even even a hundred years ago, Booker T. Washington saw this and said specifically, 
like during a time where there were way more legitimate grievances, he, he called it out that there were, there were black people at that time who were intentionally pushing grievance politics because they found out that it was the easy way of making a living. And uh, they didn't. The way he put it is that they did not want the patient to get well because they wanted to continue perpetuating. It's like a wow. political wedge issue, right? They wanted to continue yeah. perpetuating the problems because they benefited from it. And that's what we're seeing today. They don't want colorblindness. They don't want a post-racial mm-hmm. society because they benefit from, from, the, from the narrative of, of oppression. And that's just, that, yeah. that's just the truth. Um, this is why you are... Um one of the uh, most criticized black men in America because the, a lot of people who embrace this, both black and white, I think they don't like your your logic in this. They don't like the fact that you're telling the truth. Hold on, stick with us, Leonidas Johnson. There is more to come straight ahead. We're on with Leonidas Johnson, the author of Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. Um, pre-order this. This is going to be a, a big seller. Uh, I would recommend getting two copies. Get one for yourself and one you can give away. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. You know, folks, during the breaks, I am uh, blow-drying my hair uh, to make sure I'm good-looking for the next segment, and I'm doing the Argentine tango to that song right there. All right, welcome back. We're on with Leonidas Johnson and uh, his book. It's an amazing book. you got to check it out. Raising Victims, the Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. Some of the things he talks about, uh, if justice is blind, then why are we talking about racial justice? It's a farce. Excellent, uh, excellent points that he makes in this book, uh, using race as an idol, why we can't embrace Christianity as our worldview, and CRT at the same time. And, of course, how parents are making such a difference, uh, fighting for the rights of, of parents and of their children in education as well. Leonidas Johnson, in the minute or so that we have remaining, I want you to let everybody know how they can find this book. Yeah, the book's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible. If you if you do audio books, pretty much anywhere that you get books, it should be available there. Uh, it's available for pre order now, and uh, it comes out. The release date is February seventh. It's coming up soon, so exciting stuff. So now's the time to pre order. Okay, and um, if people want to follow the work that you're doing and keep up to speed with you, how do they uh, keep in touch with you? You can follow me on social media at Leonidas Johnson. That's L-E-O-N-Y-D-U-S, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can look me up there. And then I, I have a podcast called Informed Dissent, um, the, the opposite of consent. So <laughs> Informed Dissent how often, with Leonidas. How often does that come out? Uh, I had been doing it bi-monthly, and I haven't. I hadn't actually done an episode since March of last year because of the book. And I, but I just put one out today, and I'm, it's going back to bi-monthly. So, all right, we'll check that out. We're back. Informed back dissent. I like it. Informed I dissent. Like it. Yes, sir. 
All right, check him out on Twitter at Leonidas Johnson. Again, that's Leonidas, L-E-O-N-Y-D-U-S Johnson. The book, again, uh, get two copies. Trust me, you're not going to be upset about this. Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. Uh, There's been a number of great books on this, and I think the more the merrier because this is a topic that is is, uh, worthy of being addressed. We're up against the likes of things like the 1619 Project, which is not necessarily CRT, but in the same vein of uh, working against America. Leonidas Johnson, I want to thank you for being on with us tonight. Thank you so much, Rich. I really appreciate you. You bet it. God bless. Good luck with the book. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Uh, We're going to take another quick break because I want to uh, continue blow-drying my hair and dancing the Argentine tango. Um, I might switch to the... uh, Bachata from the Dominican Republic. We'll see. But uh, either way, your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Looking forward to speaking with you on Open Phones America. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. Hour number three starts in a moment. Never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Welcome to the program, hour number three. It's Friday night, or it's actually Saturday morning, technically. Uh, But it is Friday night. It's, uh, It's the midnight hour here on the East Coast. And if you're on the West Coast, welcome. You're three hours earlier. God bless you. You still have a few hours to go before it's midnight. But Open Phone America, a tradition here started by Larry King, the year I was born, 1978, uh, where he allowed people to call in and just sound off on pretty much whatever you want to talk about. I try to stick with that. I try to keep it somewhat in terms of conversation. Like you wouldn't be at the bodega or the Wawa or wherever you stop and have coffee and talk about, I don't know, football and then have somebody come in and go, you know, how about those new Darge chargers? You know, just it just wouldn't fit the conversation. So we try to make sense of it and we try to make sense of everything that's going on in America at night. Now, there are some headlines here. Obviously, the biggest headline uh, we've been hearing tonight is all of the um, expected unrest, which I haven't really heard too much about big stories of unrest coming out of Memphis or any other big cities. But we have heard about the threat of burning everything down. And uh, Rona McDaniel has won the race for RNC chair. Um, We um, did not have the good fortune of having her on the program, but we had her opponent on. And I thought she would have made a great RNC chair, Harmeet Dillon. So anyway, I guess congrats goes to Rona McDaniel for winning her race. And uh, while there were several challengers, um, she has been declared the winner by a lot, by the way. And it's interesting, you know, Republican politics, uh, it's never as lockstep as Democrat politics. Um, There's always a lot more diversity of thought on the Republican side. There's always a lot more, I don't like this person, I like that person. And in my opinion, it's always more competitive. 
and she uh, she got this one in the bag. Now, let me see what else I wanted to discuss with you here before we go on to any calls. Uh, there was also a story, this is a good one, of a school librarian that's being vilified as the arm of Satan in the book banning wars that are going on. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but I want to... Um, continue to discuss what's going on in Washington as we wrap up the weekend. And we'll get into some wacky stories as well. Uh, But there's a clip of audio from minority leader Hakeem Jeffries. And um, he seems to indicate here that Mitch McConnell's position on debt is the same as the Democrats. Now, I find this interesting because when you have a Republican leader in the Senate who has the same position as Democrats, in my opinion, we've got a problem here, Houston. And and the problem is McConnell, right? The problem is not uh, that everybody else is wrong and, you know, the entirety of the Republican Party are rhinos. No, I think the issue is that the rhino here is McConnell. And by rhino, I mean Republican in name only for anybody who's not familiar with that term or this acronym. So I want you to hear um, – Hakeem Jeffries, he was on NPR yesterday uh, discussing that McConnell's position on the debt is just the same as the Democrats. Check this out. But what's your leverage to push them off that? Our leverage is the debt ceiling has consistently been raised for the last 100 years. America has never defaulted on our debt, and we should not and will not default today. That is the mainstream position. That's the position that Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell holds. It's President Biden's position. It's the position of House Democrats. It's the position of Senate Democrats. And we are not going to let the extreme MAGA Republicans win out in the House of Representatives. So this is how they they try to create a false equivalency, right? So they say, look, McConnell's a, a regular Republican. He's a good guy. That's the kind of Republican you want to like. Every other Republican, no bueno, very bad, muy malo. That, that's not the way it should be, in my opinion, right? I think you should have some diversity of thought. And I think the, the best Republican is the more conservative Republican. Now, do they get to do a whole lot of conserving when they get there? Eh, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, we had Trump, who was rather conservative in his governing, um, but that was as a president. But in Congress, there's there's a handful of guys that are out there saying the right things and usually taking the the right, uh, making the right uh, efforts towards doing the right thing. But do we really have lower taxes right now? No. I mean, you need a whole team effort here. So I, I think you know, um, decreasing spending that would be great. I'd love to see it happen, but it's just not happening just yet. And, and this is one of those things where, what are you going to do? You going to hold your breath? You guys get to weigh in. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337 is the phone number. Uh, let us go to New York. And by the way, New York is coming in heavy tonight on this call board. I see that we got uh, about half a dozen calls up here. And we've got Montana. We've got Brooklyn, New York, Akron, Ohio, Queens, New York, Danbury, Connecticut, WLAD, WFAS, WNAR, KOFI, big shout out to all of these great stations. Let us go to uh, my man, Jimmy. Jimmy has been calling me ever since I've been on radio. This guy is, and and not just me, he's a professional talk radio caller. This guy is one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to um, certain matters of history, in particular the communist movement. Jimmy, welcome, sir. Oh, thank you for that uh, intro. Yeah, uh, I don't usually intro callers, but you know what? You're, you're such a prolific one that you deserved it. 
I do appreciate it. Well, I've been studying it all for over half a century. I've been calling for like 35 years now. I almost forgot how long it's been. I have here, well, first off, uh, Friday was Holocaust Memorial Day about the Nazi Holocaust of six million Jews in World War II. A lot of people don't know how much the Soviets were part of that. There's a documentary made years ago, The Soviet Story. The Soviets helped supply Hitler. They helped arm Hitler. They helped guided Nazi planes when they were bombing England. Stalin rounded up Jews and handed them over to Hitler to be killed. It's all exposed, and it also, in that old documentary, it shows you the similarities between communism and the Nazis. The banners, the flags, the posters, the ideology. One was race warfare, and the other was class warfare. And I have here a communist document where they're bragging about their partnership with Hitler. But I, I have to touch on this critical race theory thing. Of course. It's not neo-Marxism. It's, neo it's not progressive. It's the world communist movement. The communists work for victory. So in America, they work in every group. It used to be basic Marxism. You have to see everything from a class perspective, working class versus the capitalist class. Well, they expanded that. You have to see everything from a race perspective. You have to see everything from the uh, women's perspective. Or today, feminist, you have to see everything from the environmental perspective. When you do this with every group, each group is organized as a separate group, but then it's all pulled together. It, it is absolutely brilliant. And there was no group targeted more than American blacks. They're the most targeted group. While Stalin was murdering 10 million people in Ukraine, 1932 to 33, sure. the Soviets murdered 10 million people in Ukraine. While he was doing that, he was organizing, because it's in their publication, Stalin actually wrote in the American Communist Party press. So while they're killing 10 million Christians in Ukraine, they're organizing mm -hmm. blacks in Harlem against racism. It's so incredible. The Soviets helped arm and supply Mussolini, and then Mussolini went into Africa. He took over Ethiopia. So Stalin helped uh, Mussolini take over Ethiopia, and then Stalin was recruiting blacks to fight fascism in Ethiopia. It is absolutely brilliant. Now let me get to this here. This is a publication. This is from the British Communist Party. I'm just going to read you a couple of sentences. Yep. Uh, what more convincing proof can be required to show the sagacity of the Stalinist peace policy than the Soviet-German friendship? It goes on. Listen how powerful this is. The Anglo-French air forces, despite the big talk of the British about the qualitative superiority over German air forces, are not attempting to undertake any operations against the German front and rear. The Baltic Sea is closed thanks to Soviet-German friendship. In the North Sea, the British fleet cannot resolve to launch any offensive operations. Its hopes for a naval blockade of Germany have withered before they had time to blossom. Then it goes on uh, real quick here. Yeah, we won't have time to go on. Jimmy, I'm sorry about that because I have to hit this break. But it's an incredible wealth of information and that you always bring to the table, and I encourage you to call back often. And it goes to show you this idea of, of, of Marxism and the communist movement globally and uh, what we've seen here afoot in the United States over the last um, 200 or 100 years, I should say, 140 years or so, 
uh, it's remarkable. And the more you study it, the more eye-opening it is. I've got something I wanted to read to you. So if you listen beyond your call, I hope you'll get to hear it. Uh, It talks about the national minority, and it's something that was written in 1987. So don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez, and this is Open Phones on America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Voted best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. So we have a rhetorical question. What in God's name would the Americans give up the progress we've made for the chaos they're suggesting? I don't get it. That's why the MAGA Republicans deliberately choose to inflict this kind of pain on the American people. Why? Why? This nation has gone through too much. We've come too far to let that happen. I will not let it happen. Not on my watch. I will veto everything they send us. All right, so that's Joe Biden. Uh, He is uh, making his case that he will veto absolutely everything that comes his way because he will not allow this government to be hijacked by MAGA Republicans, those evil MAGA Republicans. We're taking your calls live tonight. It's Friday night. And I just wanted to say earlier I made a comment um, about uh, blow drying my hair while doing the Argentine tango. And while I do enjoy dancing, uh, it's just for the record, because on the return, um, you heard about my accolades on my hair. It's because I'm bald. Okay. So just in case anybody hasn't seen a a picture of me, uh, it is a, it's an inside running joke. And uh, I I bring that up because while I'm not really blow drying my hair and doing the Argentine tango all weekend long, sometimes I am uh, engaging in libations that come from Argentina in particular, Malbec, the red wine that comes from the Mendoza region of Argentina, which is really a favorite of mine. And I'm wondering if uh, maybe we should get our legal people on the phone to see if they would allow me to sip some Malbec during the open phones on Friday nights only, kind of like an ode to the weekend, you know, where we kind of cheers as we take the calls. We'll see. But I wanted to uh, just in light of what Jimmy mentioned in the last segment. He uh, is a prolific um, uh, speaker on communism. And and this is something that I do geek out on on the weekends. I like to read things. I've got a 15-page paper in front of me that I refer to from time to time and I've read through before. But the title of it, uh, it's an essay that's titled The Theory of National Minorities. And it was published as a chapter, chapter five, uh, as a matter of fact, by J.M. Blount in something called The National Question, Decolonizing the Theory of Nationalism. And this was published in London in 1987. And you can find us on the Cornell University website. Uh, this is um, slightly different from a similar article that was published in the Monthly Review in 1977 uh, with the title of Are Puerto Ricans a National Minority? And this was translated into Spanish, Italian, and a bunch of other things. Uh, this is an idea. And the reason I bring it up is because the root of this entire conversation, this 15-page paper that really doesn't allude to what it's about – Uh, But it gets into how the Bolshevik Revolution and how they focused on nationalism and dividing people into these collectivist groups. And um, some sectors of – and this is a piece from the introduction. Some sectors of the North American left, leftist movement, um, the Marxist movement, 
are convinced that Puerto Ricans in the United States do not belong to uh, Puerto Rico and that they're nearly part of a larger national minority. Uh, and the national minority that they're referring to are African-Americans. It had to do with how communists in in um, in the 60s and 70s were recruiting people. And they had, like I said, a 15-page paper. And this is really uh, interesting to me because it fascinates me that they went to these lengths to um, to build this movement. Uh, I can tell you I've been a conservative for, I don't know, probably close to 20 years. And I've ne- never once has race really ever been a, a focus of why – uh, any of us considered becoming conservatives or anybody I've ever dealt with or spoken with about any of these things. But yet here we have this tremendous focus on race, on race and race. And it's just constant barrage of race. And we look at what's happening in, in any one of these um, uh, these race-based stories, not the least of which is one that right now is, a, in my opinion, a horrible story that is coming out of uh, Memphis. And uh, yet they want to say that this is white supremacy. I think it's horrible. Let's go to the middle of the country into Ohio. W-N-A-R, Steve in Akron. What's up, my man? You're on with Rich Valdez. What's on your mind? How are you doing? You're up pretty late tonight, huh? Yeah, I do it every day, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Three hours. I thought you just did two hours, but it's okay. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I'm glad they're carrying the third hour. Amen to that. What's up, my brother? W-N-I-R, not W-N-A-R. Ah, anyway, you got yeah. a typo in front of me. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just wondering if uh, everybody can tone everything down a little bit. Like, uh, whoever decided it's white supremacy, you know. Uh, well, I'll tell you, you know, this white supremacy idea comes from the notion that everything that is establishment in our country comes from uh, a white supremacist position. For example, the police, they consider the, the, the idea of the constabulary as a whole that police started because there were once overseers on plantations and that police only exist for the sake of persecuting slaves. And in modern day world, uh, they the police only exist to keep feeding the modern day plantation, which is the the prison system. And this is why they make the argument that that's why there's so many blacks in prison and that this is how they get them there is by having a constabulary, a police department, a police movement that brings them uh, right into prison. And they also claim that it starts in schools, which are also, um, I mean, I haven't heard the argument that the entire system of education is a white supremacist construct but they say it's a school-to-prison pipeline, and that's why they claim that schools in poorer neighborhoods are typically failing schools and bring kids from poverty right into prison. And you know, I, I can I can attest to the fact that those things do happen, but I don't know that they happen specifically on race, especially when I, I worked for the state of New Jersey and visiting schools was part of my job from time to time. And I could tell you the least performing school districts, um, typically, uh, if they were a minority area, um, they weren't run by that by a, a white supremacist. They were always typically run by the people that made up the community. So I, I could never subscribe to the idea that this was white supremacy. Um, but I understand that, that people are upset and they should be, if you have failing schools, you should be upset. If you have, uh, 
a a a problem with crime, if you have, you know, a, a bunch of young kids that are going to jail, these are things to be upset about. But you also have to look at the real problem. And the real problem, in my opinion, it's not the police and it's not saying that everything's white supremacy or this or that or anything else. But it's looking at, you know, why are we getting to, into these situations? Why do we have these problems? And many have realized it's about having fatherless homes. Um, and that's just one part. I'm sure there's a lot more to it. And I, if I had more time, I'd get into it. But the music means they're kicking me out. So I'll, I'll be back right after the break. But don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. Open phone America. 833-4-VALDEZ. Give us a call. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Congresswoman, quickly on the debt limit, uh, Democrats have been in charge for the past two years. Do you think Democrats have spent too much money? Um, I think the largest contributor to the debt ceiling or to our deficit has been the Trump tax cuts, but I got to go. Okay, that is my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, also known as All Out Crazy. And All Out Crazy, or I should say congresswoman, la congresista, All Out Crazy, she says that the largest contributor to the debt ceiling to or to our deficit has been the Trump tax cuts. But I got to go. That's the full quote. Now, again, I will bring this up until I'm blue in the face. A tax cut does not go towards a deficit. Now, I understand how they're trying to do their math. No supermarket in America says we didn't make money this month and we're running a deficit because we ran too many promotions with coupons. It doesn't work that way. Giving a discount on something where you're making a, a profit, per se, in a business is, is not going to be your reason for, for doing that. Because, and again, it's a, it's a poor analogy because the government doesn't produce anything. But the, the reality is every tax cut, the Trump tax cuts, the Bush tax cuts, when JFK did it, Reagan, all of them brought in larger receipts. Tax income for the government went up even though there were tax breaks for Americans. That's a fact. So she can't say that because the government didn't get enough tax money, all of a sudden we have a deficit. No, ma'am. We have a deficit because you've spent like you're a lunatic and you spent more than we had. And any American with a checkbook could attest to that. You can't spend more than you have because you'll have a deficit. Has nothing to do with the, the discount um, that, that if we're going to call a tax break, a discount. Anyway, that is my, uh, my issue with, uh, my least favorite Congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. And she, uh, she's not, uh, unique in this, but I thought it was silly for her to say that. And, and it's just, um, uh, it's really, it, it's such a intellectually feeble argument, in my opinion. 
that I, I don't I don't see how anybody, even on her side of the aisle, even appreciates anything like that. But let's continue the call. Speaking of Queens, let's go to Queens, New York, WFAS. Let's check in with Rex. What's on? Uh, what's going on, Rex? How are you? Hey, Rick. Uh, for what Good. it's worth, she does have nice legs. Um, <laughs> you had a fellow on earlier who uh, was raving about this distraction called uh, critical race theory. Yeah. Now, it's a proven sociological, anthropological fact that there are only three races on the face of this planet. You've what might those your, be? Uh, Mongoloids, Negroids, and Caucasians. That's it. Now, this has been proven by whom, sir? Sociologists and anthropologists. Well, just give me the name of one. I don't have that information off the top of I my head. I didn't think you did. Uh, lamentably, sometimes when we're less than informed, we, we, we say things that we think are appropriate. But no, I, there, there's, <laughs> there, there's more to it than that. Um, and all you got to do is take a look around. Uh, I think that this this is a theory that was, you know, once espoused. I mean, this is similar to the idea when somebody calls and says, you know, the, the problem we have is is all these European bankers. They're very greedy. And how quickly the conversation on European bankers becomes a conversation on Jews that run the European banks. And quickly that conversation becomes the Jews are the actual problems, right? That's what they assert. And and this is nothing more than a very thinly veiled attempt uh, to you know espouse this anti-Semitic position and say, hey, this is the problem. That they they are the problem. If we didn't have them, these bankers that happen to be Jewish, then we wouldn't have a problem. This is exactly what Kanye West was doing, and and people, some people don't realize that they're doing it. So when we get into this this um, discussion about there's only this race, or there's only that race, or there's only the other race. What ends up happening is we try to oversimplify things to the point where we actually miss the point. Now, uh, I have to submit to you, I think, that to um, to say that th those are the only three, I I'd say that there's probably some nuance to that, uh, especially with um, the the – Asians, I don't think we call them mongoloid anymore, <laughs> if ever. <laughs> so, I mean, I think this is something that uh, we, we should definitely be cognizant of. But I appreciate the call and uh, and your contribution to the program. It's always uh, interesting to hear um, the the different ideas that are out there. Let us continue and go to Evergreen, Montana, KOFI. Let's check in with Frank. Frank, what's up, my man? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. First, what's up? We've got this new, clear fallout in Russia, and it's got my Geiger counter out. It's non-radioactive. It's pure white, non-acidic. It's just you got bucket balls. It's just a blessing. Yeah. I guess. Frank, I don't know why, but you're getting choppy. You're kind of cutting in and out, in and out a little bit. So let us uh, continue our conversation. Maybe we could put Frank on hold for a bit. Maybe we could clear up the line. Let's go to Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri, K-W-O-S. Welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yes, Rich. It's a great day. Uh, have you, did you ever see the original movie, The Titanic? I, I saw the Leonardo DiCaprio version. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a little older than you. There's a really uh, good one. But anyway, uh, 
the uh, what I like to talk about was a, a fellow twenty, you know, January twenty seventh, nineteen seventeen. Mm-hmm. He. Uh, he was a wireless operator in the time when radio was first coming into being, and he was from Jefferson City, and he uh, went on to, uh, because he was so good as a wireless coder, he uh, he went on to uh, join the Navy Reserve in World War One, and then he went on to France, and he, uh, but later, after World War One, he came back, and uh, uh, set up the transmitter in our state capital, and and then he mm. died uh, in 1959 on this date. So I just thought it would be nice to remember this Willis Corwin fellow, who uh, was just a really cool guy and uh, uh, was a part of radio that I've always enjoyed uh, uh, over the years. Well, thank you for sharing that bit of history, Bill. Uh, of course, a big shout out to uh, Mr. Corwin and uh, and uh, his contribution to early radio. W- where would I be today without him and his contribution? So I really appreciate you pointing that out, sir. Thank you. You bet. You know, there's also um, several other national days on January 27th, uh, not the least of which is World Breast Pumping Day. Yep, that's a thing. Vietnam Peace Day. National Big Wig Day, and by big wig, they don't mean big shot. They mean wearing a large, puffy wig on your head. And it's also National Chocolate Cake Day. The final one on this list, and this is one I love here, it's National Fun at Work Day. What's interesting here is I think it's National Fun at Work Day Every time I'm on a microphone, I love this stuff and I love you guys in the audience. So keep the calls coming. We're going to continue before we wrap this up for the weekend and uh, head into a couple of days of, of, you know, doing what we do on the weekends before we get back to the grind on Monday. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. I'll be looking at your comments as well on all of the uh, social platforms that I'm on. And we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. How you doing? What's going on, man? Alright. Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey, 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 hey. What is Our going camera, on? Body cam audio that you're hearing uh, of the police responding to the attack on Paul Pelosi inside of his house where the uh, the attacker held a hammer in his hand. This is not as explosive as many people were thinking it was gonna be. Uh, again, what I saw was a Paul Pelosi looking kind of happy. Um answering the door, looking a little surprised, like, hey, what's up, guys? What are you guys doing here? Holding a drink in one hand and kind of like pushing the man or keeping him at bay with his other hand and the guy kind of inching towards him, but they were kind of like shoulder to shoulders, you know, but he's still like keeping him away. And and the cop is like, hey, what's going on? What's the deal? 
And uh, as soon as Pelosi, you know, he's smiling and I guess trying to play it off, like, you know, everything's good here. But the guy has a hammer in his hand. Right? <laughs> he's literally, he's got it, like, you know, over his head. He's about to, and boom, he just starts going in on Pelosi and the cops jump on the guy. They tackle him to the ground. I mean, it's really quite a, a pretty self-explanatory thing. I mean, for the most part, you know, the, the questions arise on what you can't see on the camera. You know, why the guy was in the house, how he got in the house. Was he holding Pelosi hostage? I mean, all of that seems... Um, to, to make sense to me. But again, there's a lot of people out there saying, no, 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 because he was in his underwear. Listen, when I'm in my house, I'm in my underwear too. I, I just don't understand that. Uh, and if a guy comes in here with a hammer, I'm not going to get dressed just to fight the guy. You know? And again, if you're an old man, I don't know. I, I don't know if I believe all the hype around that Paul Pelosi stuff, but uh, they thought it was going to be very explosive and it's just not that explosive. Uh, but you guys get to weigh in on this and everything else that's going on in America at night. Let's go to Pete in Danbury, Connecticut, WLAD. Welcome, sir. Yeah, actually, uh, Detective Strange Man is my stage name. Hey, Mr. Valdez, how are you? Welcome, hey, listen, sir. How are you? I want to remind uh, everybody that today is the anniversary of the Challenger accident. Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, I remember watching that. I was in fifth grade and uh, they wheeled in a tube television on a AV cart, audio visual cart. And they said, you know, we're going to watch history today because we're going to watch the Challenger uh, space shuttle take off. And it's got our I think it was the first woman uh, astronaut, Krista McAuliffe or whatever history she was making in that capacity. And she was on there. And I remember it like yesterday. I was watching it, watching it, and boom, it exploded. And the teacher's jaw hit the floor and didn't know what to do. And he started unplugging the thing, moving the TV outside. And he was like, sorry about that, guys. Um, it, it was really uh, it was really quite the spectacle. It really was. Yeah, 30, 37 years ago, I was on flight line duty uh, at a, a classified location in the uh, North African European Theater. And it was cold, you know, January, I got off duty and I went back to the barracks and uh, Ishki, uh, my neighbor, told me about it and uh, I couldn't believe it. And actually, when I attended the uh, first Air Force Academy at Lowry Air Force Base, I went to school with Lieutenant Colonel Onizuka, his uh, nephew and Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel, excuse me, Lieutenant Colonel Onizuka of uh, Japanese descent. He was the uh, scientific officer aboard that flight. And yeah, oh, wow. you're, you're right. Uh, there was the first teacher, you know, to go into outers, you know, to go to fly up there. And uh, I just want to uh, ask you your opinion. Do you think we should uh, bring back the shuttle program? And I'll uh, hang up and uh, listen to your comment off the air. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, sir. Well, yeah, listen, I'll tell you this. I think w there is an arms race for space. And... I believe that you have to you have to be number one when you're the United States. If we take a back seat, we'll see our competitors, aka our enemies in many instances, China, Russia, uh, they'll beat us. They'll beat us. Now I know there's a lot of collegiality when it comes to space and we share the International Space Station, but at the end of the day, everybody has to have self-interest in mind at some point, right? You can help your neighbor all you want, but there may come a day where your neighbor turns against you and you're not going to take the position of helping your neighbor over helping yourself. You have to look out for you and for your family. And in this case, I think the United States should always work on staying 
at the front of that arms race in space, not at the tail end of it. At least that's my opinion. Uh, I, I think, you know, I believe in American exceptionalism and I think we should do what we've got to do to be a part of it. Since then, it's been somewhat privatized and you've got, um, you know, other people that are doing things with private investment. And I'm not necessarily against private investment either. Um, I just, it, it seems to me like the government has created lots of different types of technology and they sell them off as they, as they do, as they can, like, you know, Sprint, I think, um, Sprint's not around anymore, but Sprint, the wireless phone carrier, I think they're not around anymore. They, um, they had purchased, um, a military communications network known as code division, multiple access or CDMA wireless technology and turned it into the cell phone network and became Sprint PCS. So, I mean, there, there's ways of doing that. Uh, but I, I think it, there's also, you know, you have to allow the private sector to be the private sector, not necessarily the private sector buying former government stuff. But I also believe that you don't get to those levels of, of innovation without some sort of partnership along the way. So it's not as cut and dry, but yeah, we should. Uh, my opinion, we should be doing as much as we can in space. And I always give kudos to President Trump for starting the Space Force because uh, I, I think – I could be wrong, but I think that's going to be the wave of the future. Warfare is going to be conducted up there through satellite and through all sorts of different things, not the least of which um, is something that we should be involved in. Anyway, thank you, sir. I appreciate the call. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, going coast to coast all across the country. North Carolina, WTKF, New Bern, North Carolina. Let's check in with Lisa. Welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi. Hi. Hi, Rich. Can you hear me? Hi. Yeah, you sound super loud and clear. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I just want to say. Well, tur turn you. off the radio in the background because it's hard to hear you with the radio on in the background. Okay, I'm going to turn it off. Um, yeah, you I got it. My washing machine, my washing machine is um, almost done. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, listening to you for like five months, I guess. I don't know when you took well, over. Thank you for that. Yeah, but I can not only do it a few nights a week because it works. But of I'm course. so happy when I can. And I just want to thank you and say that I agree with all this. I mean, I, I told the person that answered my call that, you know, I'm a grandmother. I have three grown sons. Yeah. One has a child. So I have a 10-year-old grandson, and he's like, he's a trumper. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> he's, like, adorable. He's smart, everything. We, um, and he's just wonderful. And... Um, he said, Mima, I'm going, you know, like last year, I'm going with you to see Trump. But we never went. No, but anyway. It's quite an experience. Just, you know, Those rallies are really good. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you. And I'm, I'm like on board and I write notes. I got books here. <laughs> I oh, told my good. son, I, I have a twin. I told my, my twin, look, I'm going to leave my logs here for you just in case anything, you know, in the future. 
is contact. Well, thank you, you know for that. Mean? Yeah, I appreciate it, Lisa. And thank you for tuning in and for your kind words. It means a lot to me. Um, everybody's um, really generous statement. Thank you so much. And uh, you, you're right about, you know, leaving things for the future, doing what we have to do to make sure that those that come after us are able to do what they need to do. And I think it, it, we have to live by that, irrespective. I think irrespective of your politics, it doesn't matter what you do. Ultimately, we have to go. And those that are younger than us, typically our children, our loved ones, they come behind us. And we have to leave them a better planet than the one we got. We have to leave them a better country than the one we got. We have to leave them a better economic system than the one that we grew up with. One would hope, right? And I think this is why so many people, uh, Gen Xers and, and, and even older baby boomers, they, they feel that they're not. Yet the ones that are millennial and Gen Z, they think they are making a better America and creating a better world. And that's where I think the disconnect is. When they, when they say, you know, we're going to eliminate fossil fuel and do this and do that, are we really helping the planet? I don't know. Um, I would, I'd probably say we're hurting ourselves right now more than we're helping the future. But that's debatable, and we'll do it again. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. Take care, good night, and God bless. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.